Hello and welcome to Roundhouse Crosstalk, a podcast hosted by the California State Railroad Museum. And for this episode, we're going to be sitting down with LaDonna DiCamillo, who was appointed the Southern California Regional Director of the California High-Speed Rail Authority by Governor Gavin Newsom in 2020. We're very excited to be talking to LaDonna today. She has over 30 years of experience in working for the railroad prior to coming to high-speed rail at the BNSF Railway, most recently as the Regional Assistant Vice President for Governmental Affairs. This is somebody with lots and lots of railroad experience outside of high-speed rail that uh, is now working on this project, so that's very exciting. Uh, LaDonna also holds a Bachelor's of Science degree in Chemistry and a minor in Physics from Washburn University, later obtaining a JD from the, uh, in law from the University of Laverne, um, and holds many honors, including the Peter Drucker Award for Excellence in Supply Chain and Logistics in 2018, as well as the BNSF Railway Employee of the Year in 2013. So this is somebody with lots and lots of experience outside of high-speed rail, who's using that experience now to uh, coordinate with agency partners such as Caltrans, LA Metro, Metrolink, as well as local uh, rail and transportation partners uh, across the six Southern California counties that this railroad will pass through. So LaDonna is the perfect person to be talking to us here today um, about all things high-speed rail. So without further ado, let's jump into the program. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Roundhouse Crosstalk, a podcast hosted by the California State Railroad Museum. Today, we're sitting here with LaDonna DiCamello, uh, who is the Southern California Regional Director at the High Speed Rail Authority, who's here today to talk to us about the High Speed Rail Project in California. Um, As I understand, the only, uh, or first, I should say, High Speed Rail Project in the United States. Uh, Thank you for having me. Hi, Jake. Thanks for having me. I'm always happy to talk about what's happening at High Speed Rail. We've got a lot of exciting things going on. Looking forward to talking about it today. Um, So the High Speed Rail Authority is sort of divided right now into three sections, it sounds like, three phases, I should say, um, of construction. Sounds like we're currently getting some construction done in the the Central uh, Valley portion of it. Does that sound correct? How about if I start at the top? Mm-hmm. Um, for, for your listeners and explain what's happening uh, at the High Speed Rail Authority, and uh, we'll go from there. We were actually officially initiated by the voters in 2008 with Proposition 1A, which set aside approximately $10 billion for us to start work. And with that ballot measure, uh, it was specified that we connect San Francisco with Los Angeles, Anaheim via the Central Valley. And so since 2008, we've been really defining the route and the project. Um, it's about 500 miles and uh, the trip time will be, will be less than three hours. We're targeting two hours and 40 minutes, which is really exciting. It's, it's an ability to, to keep ridership high and make that, that time. And we're divided into three regions. Uh, Northern California, Central Valley, and I'm the regional director for the Southern California region. And each one of those regions is divided into sections also. So I have four project sections, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And then the sections that were in the Central Valley for environmental purposes are now construction packages. So we can kind of talk about how that works. Um, but each it, those sections are kind of bite-sized chunks. I like to think of them as as like um, parts of the route um, that really make it a little easier for us to digest. So um, that's kind of how we're structured with three major regions and then into project sections as well. So it sounds like the construction is starting then in the Central Valley. 
Um, and we're sort of, so can you talk a little bit about what exactly is, is going Absolutely. on? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've started construction in the Central Valley. If anybody's driven on the 99, you've probably seen what's happening and wondered what all that was. Um, and so we are working on 119 miles of construction in that Central Valley. Um, it was the first area where we had completed environmental and we partnered with, with the federal government and got a grant to to start our construction there because of um, the, it's an economic development basically um, because it, Central Valley needed some economic development and as well as some air quality advantages. Um, so we started our construction there. We've invested about $6 billion in the Central Valley so far. Um, and that construction is 119 miles. We've also started advanced design uh, the, on kind of the ends connecting Bakersfield with Merced. So design and construction on 171 miles. And we're really focused in on completing that 171 uh, miles so that we can put an operating track in place, show Californians that it actually works. So we're really excited about that and focused on finishing the construction that's, that's underway. Um, then we'll have track and systems. So we actually, the construction is really about the concrete and we'll be putting track and signals and catenary on in the next phase and getting that test track running, aiming for 2033 to have uh, a system on the 171 miles that, that's gonna operate between Bakersfield and Merced. Um, and something that, that I read about in preparation for this is that um, sort of the, the goal is to go where the people are, um, that I thought was really interesting. So instead of, um, you know, Highway 5, where there's, you know, a bunch of farmland, maybe not all that many people in, in big cities, um, instead focusing on connecting people, even within that region. Um, can you talk a little bit about the decision to, to do that rather than, you know, just go along the five, I guess? Absolutely. We want to serve all of California um, and as, as many riders as we can. That is one of our goals. Um, and we're estimating we'll eliminate over 400,000 trips um, of car trips per per year once we're up and running. Um, but we want to connect communities. And we have a team that really focuses in on station planning. And it, it was new to me. It's kind of exciting. An opportunity to vision uh, what a station area would look like and work with the local community to develop small business opportunities, transit-oriented development, and, and to really build a vision in and around the, the station areas. In fact, um, we recently just got a federal grant. It's, it's called a RAISE grant. Don't ask me what the acronym stands for. But it's RAISE grant of $20, $20 million uh, for the Fresno area and, and to focus it on the station um, preservation of the historic depot there. And our team has been working really hard with uh, Fresno on just that purpose, to build a station that makes sense for that community and will ultimately um, facilitate more ridership for us as well. And I think you you mentioned it a little bit when we were talking about sort of the using the money from a federal grant um, for the Central Valley. But can you talk a little bit about why exactly we decided to start in that Central Valley um, and what sort of benefits we see both to the Central Valley and starting there, but then also for the state? It's really in large part an economic boost for the Central Valley. Um, like I said, we're, we've invested so far about $6 billion. Um, we've created 11,000 jobs so far. 
uh, on a daily basis, we're running around calling out around 1,100 to 1,200 workers. So we're excited about that and putting people to work in the Central Valley on the construction side of things. Um, and it's it's a good place for us to do a test on high-speed rail. Um, as, you, as you know, many other countries are doing this. Um, dozens of other countries have this, but it, it will be the first major high-speed rail in California. Uh, or in the United States, actually, but especially in California. So it's a good place to to put a track in place. We'll connect Bakersfield with Merced um, in in what will be uh, a much faster trip than it's currently by car. So when talking to folks in preparation for this podcast, um, something that surprised me was that so many folks didn't know that there was current construction um, happening in the Central Valley. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what sort of um, is being constructed and uh, what that looks like right now. What it, what construction is happening um, right at this moment? Sure. Um, construction's divided, as, as I mentioned, it's in, divided into four construction packages. Um, so there's a team working on each one of the four construction packages. We actually plan to have construction package four, which is the southernmost part of the 119 miles done, in um, later this year, actually. And, and hopefully the, the rest are planned to follow fairly quickly. Um, by 2000, or 2026, uh, we should have the, the remaining construction complete and we'll aim for starting our tracking systems in 2028. So if you're not from the Central Valley, you probably haven't seen it. Um, but, but it is underway and, and we are making good progress, uh, on, in the central Valley on that 119 miles that's under construction. Um, another thing that we had some of our listeners express sort of, uh, confusion on was exactly how the funding process worked. I know so far we've talked about, um, different federal grants. We talked about a state bond, uh, how does this all sort of work? Sure. As I mentioned in 2008 with Proposition 1A, uh, the voters set aside about $10 billion. And that was that was just a, a for, fraction or wasn't a fraction. It was just a portion, really, of our anticipated total cost. Um, but it was set aside for um, high-speed rail. And the other state funds that we get are from the, the cap-and-trade um, tax on fuel, basically. A portion of that goes into the funding for uh, our work. The rest of what we're doing is through federal grants. We've received um, federal grants for completion of the environmental work, which I think we'll talk a little bit more about when we get into the other um, project sections, as well as um, for the initial construction that started in the Central Valley. So right now, I think we're around 85% funded by state funds and maybe 15 federal. Um, but as we've defined our project more and more, it makes us more competitive for grants, whether they're uh, whether it's the continuation of the cap and trade program beyond 2030. Um, it was really it's really important to our CEO that that we're well defined. We've completed our environmental work and and that puts us into a position where we can apply for these these grants and opportunities. Um, and, and then we'll just bite away in smaller, smaller bite-sized pieces. Uh, we'll work away at the funding that we ultimately need for the whole project. 
So, so you, you've had a long history in the railroad. So um, you've worked for BNSF for 30 years and have um, all this experience before coming to high-speed rail. So I'm curious um, how this project, you mentioned it's the first major um, high-speed rail uh, project in the United States. How does this differ from uh, your time at a more traditional railroad? Totally different. <laughs> um, pretty, pretty day and night. It's the it's the private sector versus public sector. Um, private sector, I was working with BNSF Railway, as you, you mentioned, which was all freight. Um, decision making on the private sector side, much different. Um, what what they're looking for, what the goals are, what the process is, very different. On the state side. Um, more protocols in place to protect the state and the taxpayers' funds. So there's more process in place. Um, so, so there is a lot of, of difference. Um, on the other hand, rail is, is thinking in railroad is kind of the same, whether you're moving freight trains or passenger trains. It's really complicated for, for people who don't think railroad. Um, I like I like to describe it as Railroads being a little bit one-dimensional, you can only go where there's track, right? Where in freeways or or in roadways are more two-dimensional, or, or is three-dimensional, you can you have a lot more flexibility. Um, railroad operations, um, particularly when we get into shared corridors, which we're, we are here in Southern California, shared with the passenger and the freight, um, it's really important to to think about those operations and the congestion and the, the interaction between the speed of the freight trains and the speed of the passenger trains. Um, where we're high speed, for high speed rail authority, we're going 200 miles an hour, we're in a, an isolated corridor. So that that's kind of cool and easy, but when we get into these shared corridors, um, it really helps having my background on the freight side to understand those operational complexities, um, especially as we get into Southern California with all the freight um, that's happening at the port. So it's been kind of fun and I'm thrilled to to be um, retired from the freight side, although I'm technically too young to retire. So here I am. Um, and it was a great opportunity for, for me to, to work on the passenger side. So this has been a lot of fun as well. Um, so thinking about the high-speed rail, um, a connection between San Francisco all the way down to LA, I know eventually the hope is to, to get San Diego and Sacramento in there as well. Um, is this designed more for commuters? Is this designed more for like vacation travel? Um, both? What's the sort of idea there? I think it's a mix of both. Um, I know when I originally heard about high speed rail, it was thought of as more of a traveler connecting San Francisco to Anaheim. I, it, it will definitely serve the commuter as well. Um, and it may not be a daily commuter, especially the post-COVID world where we're, we're doing a hybrid work type of, of um, scenario. It, it really opens up residence areas, places where people can live and commute to work on those day or two um, where you want to be in the office and then you go back to virtual. So I really think it opens up that opportunity. Um, and for the the students say for instance you know somebody who who's traveling just once or t twice a week um great opportunity for for those folks and and then i think it will be for all 
travelers, you know, if I want to, I, I keep my, I, we have family in the Northern California and I swear that trip gets longer and longer by car every time I drive it. Right. Be great to be able to jump on a train and relax and have it done in, in three hours. So it, I think it's going to be a lot of a mix of, of who's on it, whether there's families or, you know, individuals or it just, it's going to really open up an opportunity that the state currently doesn't have. So here at the California State Railroad Museum, we, we obviously focus mostly on historical railroads. Um, and one thing that we talk about a lot, especially talking about our, our primary ones, the transcontinental railroad, since we're in Sacramento. Um, but when any time we talk about you know 19th century railroads, one of the things that always comes up is the environmental impact of these railroads. They they went up quick, but they also took down a lot of trees with them. They blasted through you know granite rock in the Sierra Nevadas, you know all these different things. Um, but from reading over the materials for this podcast, it sounds like the High Speed Rail Authority. Um, is taking significant measures to minimize that environmental impact um, for this project. Um, can you walk our listeners a little bit through the mitigation efforts you guys are going through? I know you talked about the environmental reports. Um, so what goes into that? What are we what are we trying to do with those? So that's where I primarily spend my time um, is on environmental, uh, the environmental studies. And a lot of people have criticized us for taking so long and compared us to the transcontinental and I, I it's just not the same comparison um we would never do today what was was done for the transcontinental and we now have a lot of environmental processes um that i think make the project better uh so what i'm doing in my territory and we have four project sections where i i'm over the Southern California region between Bakersfield and Anaheim. And we're divided into four project sections. Two of those are environmentally complete. And actually of our 500 mile phase one, 422 miles is environmentally completed. But my, my day-to-day is studying the impacts of our, op- of our operation, of our construction, talking to communities, getting that community feedback, um, listening to concerns of, it might be noise, it might be businesses that have to be relocated, it's homes that have to be relocated. We try to avoid that, but it happens. Um, So really what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis is understanding those concerns, trying to figure out what what we can do to respond to the concerns. And it's a process and it takes some time. And I think, like I said, in the end, I think we end up with a better project. We've worked with the community. We've addressed concerns as we go. We've educated the community on what's happening and what our project looks like. We've made adjustments to our project along the way. Um, We might adjust the alignment, uh, different things that we can do uh, to lessen that burden to the community. And uh, we wanna make sure that what we do is great for the environment, and I think we're we're doing a lot of things that are great for the environment, um, but also safe as as well. So putting together um, a plan that can be done safely and for our workers. And I think that's really important in a distinction between previous uh, how things have been done and, and what we're looking at now. And I, I think that community involvement is a, a great point, too, because, you know, when you're building the transcontinental railroad, not to keep comparing it to that, but. Uh, you know, you're not necessarily, there, there wasn't community involvement um, in right. developing that um, path. So um, that's another good benefit to this one. Um, but jumping into more of what you do as, as the regional director, specifically in Southern California, 
Um, so you oversee the Southern Bookend partnerships uh, like the Los Angeles Union Station redesign, as well as grade separations. Um, can you explain what a bookend project is, uh, what projects are underway, and how this is uh, helping the project as a whole uh, when construction is mostly happening in the Central Valley? Our Proposition 1A funds, the first allocation of those, which was about $4.5 billion, um, leadership, our, our elected leadership, wanted to divide up how those funds were spent because with those funds come an economic benefit. And so even though the focus of our organization has been on construction in the Central Valley, we wanted to also put some funds and investment into what we refer to as the bookends. So Northern California and Southern California. In Northern California, we've allocated some funds for Cal Caltrain to help electrify Caltrain. And my counterpart in Northern California works with his partners at Caltrain to and they're building that electrification. On the Southern California side, we set aside funds for um, two projects were, were identified, one at Union Station, which was referred to as Link US, and the other at a grade separation in Santa Fe Springs uh, known as Rosecrans Marquardt. So let me touch a little bit on what each of those, those are. I'm gonna start with the grade separation. Um, it just happens to be one of the, the last grade crossing separations necessary on the BNSF corridor. It's their main uh, freight corridor into the United States. And it happened to be the, one of the most dangerous. It's a T intersection for cars with a railroad track going diagonally through it. And it just ha it had a lot of incidents at that particular grade separation. Because, but because of the complicated nature of the design of the crossing, it took a long time. And, and it was a pretty expensive uh, grade separation to do. So we partnered with Metro and we've set aside $77 million. That project's under construction. Um, I think it's going to be in 2025 when it's complete. Don't hold me to that date, but um, we are partnered with Metro. It's under construction and we're making great progress on that. The other bookend project for Southern California um, is Union Station. If you've ever taken a train into Union Station, you know, those are dead end tracks and it makes for a very inefficient, rail operation. So whatever train track you came in on, you got to go back out on. And um, it really congests what we refer to as the throat um, of, of Union Station. So we've worked with Metro to design, Metro owns Union Station, um, but we've worked with Metro to design run-through tracks. And what we would do is build over the 101 freeway. So the tracks, as you come in, you continue on straight. Um, and, and then reconnect into uh, the corridor. And so it's gonna be about a 60% improvement of efficiency for passenger operations. We're really excited about that. Um, Metro is the lead on the project. And if you tuned into our board update last, last, uh, last month in June, um, they gave an update. They are a little over budget. They're very over budget and a little behind schedule. So uh, we're working with Metro to come up with what we refer to as a remediation plan to figure out uh, if there's any design refinements we can do to the project or uh, where we can look at, at uh, financial savings and what other funds we can pursue to finish that project. It's gonna be important, not just for high-speed rail. Uh, we, the high-speed rail authority out of Prop 1A put in or set aside 423 million um, in the state also contributed about the same amount uh, for the original budget. And then we're 
over budget. So we'll be looking for additional funds or some sort of way to uh, close that gap and finish that project. Overall, it's going to be a big benefit for the other passenger operators. Metrolink operates there. Uh, Losan, who runs the, the the train from San Diego to San Luis Obispo, operates through Union Station. So it won't just be a benefit for us. It'll be a benefit for all passenger carriers once we get that done. Um, so we talked about the bookend projects. We talked about, you mentioned that a lot of what you guys are doing right now in Southern California is the um, the environmental um, assessments and reports and stuff like that. Is there anything else happening in Southern California that we should know about? Well, since it's my territory, I love talking about Southern California. So uh, I, I we're divided into four project sections. I'll start north and work my way south and kind of give you and your listeners an overview of, of Southern California and, and what we're doing in Southern California. Uh, first project section is Bakersfield to Palmdale. It's a it's a long stretch, um, but that environmental document was completed in, I don't have my notes in front of me, but it was 2021. Um, on about an 80 mile sec section there, we have applied for federal funds for advancing the design. So the environmental work's done. We want to advance design. It doesn't sound really exciting, but in my line of work it is because it really helps us define the the project and helps communities plan around us and helps us preserve the right of way that that we need so we applied for a federal state partnership grant um, for bakersfield to palmdale as well as san jose to merced so the the two sections that i don't want to say bookends again but but basically would would add to the 171 miles that's that's already under design and construction um, so we've applied for that grant. We should know by the end of the year if, if we get that. Uh, advancing the design is important to the community, as I say, because um, grade separations, for example, a lot of communities are looking at doing grade separations. They may be on a different path than we are. They may not be planning to accommodate our future use. So we really want to make sure that the design is done in a way that accommodates us for the long term. It helps us define the projects or the properties that we need in and around our right-of-way. Um, so it just really builds on the certainty in that project section. So I'm excited about the opportunity uh, for a federal grant for advancing design Bakersfield to Palmdale. In the city of Palmdale itself, we're working with the city of Palmdale on station design and planning, um, like Fresno, although maybe, you know, further behind, um, but, but working to make sure that um, there's a an interoperability element in in Palmdale, for example, because Metrolink serves Palmdale. Uh, potentially, the I, we haven't talked about Brightline yet, but Brightline is a private sector high speed rail provider who's really focused on Las Vegas to Rancho Cucamonga, and the High Desert Corridor con would connect from Victorville into Palmdale. So there's an opportunity to connect. Um, to to the Brightline operation. So that would all culminate in Palmdale. And so really looking at how to make um, the, the future of that station uh, work is an exciting opportunity. So um, we're working with the city of Palmdale. We'll probably be entering into a memorandum of understanding of what the vision is for the future uh, of that Palmdale station. That's exciting. Um, on Palmdale to Burbank, it's our next project section. It is, from an engineering standpoint, the most complicated. Uh, it 
through the Angeles forest uh, will require our preferred alternative would be about 28 miles of tunneling. And with tunneling, I've learned a lot about tunneling and I'm just touching the surface. Um, but, but there are a lot of issues with respect to groundwater impacts, um, use of water, potentially for the tunnel boring machines and, and the type of equipment that's used. So um, a lot of issues on that particular project section. Um, and that environmental document, the draft was released late last year. Our team is responding to comments. Uh, we hope to get our final environmental document out later this year. But it, it's an exciting project section. It turns what can be a two-hour drive into 20 minutes. And so really opens up the opportunity for housing in, in the Antelope Valley and connecting into the LA Basin. Um, so moving further south uh, around the Burbank Airport, we do have a planned connection to the Burbank Airport. So that's exciting. People would be able to fly into the airport, directly connect uh, to our train. Um, Burbank to Los Angeles is the third project section moving from north to south. And that's a 14 mile section that we completed the environmental work last year in January. Um, so it, it's, we're getting into shared corridor. We would be sharing the Metrolink corridor for Burbank to Los Angeles. And we come into Union Station, which is why we're so involved in the Link US project, because, you know, each each one of these project sections has to connect, right? Um, and you want to connect, you want it to connect uh, smoothly. And so uh, we go into Union Station and then the last project section is Los Angeles to Anaheim. And that one, um, we haven't released a draft yet. It's It's been a fairly complicated project section from a congestion standpoint. It's just very populated urban area. Where do we, where do we go? Where do we put the track? We don't, um, we try to avoid any residential property takings to the extent we can. And, you know, we're now in a very urbanized area. So we've been working with BNSF Railway on using their existing right-of-way, which is also used by Metrolink and Losan. Um, so we're hoping to come up with a plan to utilize that right-of-way and uh, expand it for us as well as for the other passenger carriers and preserve the freight side of things. So that's where it gets kind of complicated. We're hoping to have that draft environmental document out next year and finish the final environmental document by the end of 2025. So uh, that's the plan for Southern California. Um, we think we're making great progress. Yeah, these guys sound incredibly busy. So <laughs> that's, that's a lot of work. Um, so uh, one thing that we've mentioned uh, a little bit earlier is that there, there are several countries, I think you said 14, that have um, high-speed rail um, or thereabout. Um, have you guys taken any lessons that we may have learned looking at railroad, high-speed railroads in Europe or Asia? Absolutely. And I don't, I want to say I saw that there were like 26 different countries that oh, have wow. high-speed rail. I haven't visited, but two. I've only been to two, maybe, I guess, technically three. <laughs> um, but absolutely, we're, we're building on what's been done elsewhere. Uh, in fact, we've hired... Deutsche Bahn, who is a German company who's had experience uh, operating uh, high speed in Europe, and we use them as what we refer to as an early train operator. So they give us advice, uh, and we're we're constantly working uh, with them to to make sure that we, of course, we want something that 
ultimately we'll be able to build on. And then last November, our CEO met with the French Consul General in San Francisco, um, strengthening that relationship. So absolutely, we're, we're always looking at what others are doing elsewhere. In fact, we recently started a, a program where we're looking at what the interior of it, our trains will look like. And we're, we're pulling on the latest technology of what riders want to see and, and what will make that ride most convenient for them. So we're actually, it's kind of fun um, being able to start envisioning what the, the train itself, uh, that experience will be like. So um, we're working with companies, uh, DB in, in particular, to, to vision that experience for our riders. Well, something that we hear a lot when speaking to folks about high-speed rail, it's a, it's a project that we do mention at the museum. Um, we often find that folks are a little bit skeptical about the timing of the project, or they're just kind of confused about sort of what, what's the timeline here? When should we expect um, to, to potentially have a ride available um, from San Francisco to L.A.? From San Francisco to L.A., I'm probably not going to say. Um, and part of that is is it's a process, especially on the funding side. So first we had to get the project defined, which we've done. Um, we know our 500 mile phase one route. Um, and like I said, 422 miles is environmentally cleared. We're, we're finishing up those documents in Southern California. But then the next, the next phase is funding. And so when that, those funds come in, um, is a little unpredictable for us. We don't have a consistent flow of funds for the entire route. Um, we have focused the funds that we have on the construction in the Central Valley, which really makes sense. You, you wanna build something to a completion in a usable, um, a usable state. So most of our funds has gone into the Bakersfield to Merced construction project that 171 miles so that we can develop a project, show Californians that it works and build on that momentum to get additional funding. As funding comes in, uh, we look for opportunities for early start projects. It might be grade separations. Um, other, I, I've got a lot of them in Southern California that I can break, break out that will be beneficial to Metrolink and other carriers uh, for early start projects. And it just depends on which grant opportunities are going to present themselves first and how we can get the funding. But by 2033, we, we should have that operating segment in the Central Valley between Bakersfield and Merced to show California it works. Um, and then, so we you mentioned a little bit about um, board meetings and things like that um, on ways to keep updated with the project, but is there, where should people go if, if they're interested in kind of um, keeping up with the, the latest news? Our team does a great job on our website. So, you know, start with our website. There's a contact us page. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, of course. Um, our team is always looking for opportunities to, to update folks on Twitter feed. We do a business plan every two years. It's part of our legislative uh, mandate is to update our business plan every two years. Uh, and it's in the even years, typically. Uh, COVID kind of threw us off a little bit, but it's in the even years. Um, so our next business plan will be next year. We just put out a project update report. We refer to it as a PUR, P-U-R. Um, so you're, you can go on our website and look at our project update report for 2023 and really find out what's happening at the authority. We try not to repeat ourselves too many times. 
Um, so the business plan, the 2022 business plan is also a, a good place to go um, to, to, to see. I, I like the 2022 business plan because it shows the interconnections of what we're working on with the other carriers and the transit. And there's a lot of fun maps in there to show how California will be connected in the future. So lots of ways to stay in touch. And I hope that your listeners will do that. I, I know, um, I think I saw it on your guys' YouTube channel too. They had like a, a seasonal update or whatever that was really well done. Um, so for our listeners, that's another um, good one that, and we'll throw all this, um, all these links and stuff in the description Great. of the podcast for them. Uh, but thank you for so much coming uh, for coming on the podcast and telling us all about the um, high-speed rail project. Well, thanks for having us. Appreciate it, Jake. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Roundhouse Crosstalk, a podcast hosted by the California State Railroad Museum. And thank you to LaDonna for sitting down with us today, and thank you to the High Speed Rail Authority for helping us learn more about this exciting project. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review, like, and subscribe. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.